Well, you ready for the word today? You ready for the word? I hope you came with great anticipation for what God is getting ready to do and what he's already doing in the service today. I'd like to ask you an important question. How many are ready for the coming of the Lord? I mean, how many are ready for the coming of the Lord? Well, listen, today, if you walked in and you, and you don't know the answer to that question, today, let me tell you, you don't need to have any hesitation or doubt. You don't need to have any fear or anxiety because, listen, God wants you to know how much he loves you and how much he wants you with him. So today, if that's you, you just open your heart. Just get ready to receive today. Just get ready to receive. Well, so today, as I was working through what to talk about, today, I'm going to talk about worship. How many worshipers are in the house today? Does somebody got a praise inside their spirit? I just love worshiping. As a worship pastor, I felt drawn to this theme and felt the Holy Spirit wanted me to share it with you this morning. And you know, when I think about worship, I just think about this special move that we're seeing of God just across our country and across the world. I think of Asbury College that uh, just had revival break out, and you're seeing it break out across colleges and seeing it happen across churches. And even I think of North Point College, just, they just started seeking the Lord. And it's amazing. Just all of a sudden, as they kept seeking, it just kept building more and more and more. And it's not about numbers, but it's that there's this hunger that's happening, this desire just for wanting more of God. And I tell you, it's no mistake that during this season that North Point Colleges, they just announced that they would be getting their accreditation. I tell you, God is lining up something amazing for North Point College, and I'm excited to see what he's going to continue to do. And, you know, I think about just as Pastor Kerry mentioned, just a couple weeks ago, what a unique presence of the Holy Spirit that we had, and even what he did last week, and you even think of what's happening with GoServe, and what he's even doing in our hearts today. It's amazing. I'm so blessed to see what God's doing, and I'm excited to see what he's doing. But how many know I, I don't want to just see what he's doing? I want to experience what he's doing. Amen? Amen. Well, do you know that our worship here on earth it's actually just a glimpse of what heaven's going to look like. We are just preparing for the perpetual praise of heaven. Listen, there's a song that's going up in heaven right now. We're just having rehearsal. What we have this morning, it's just rehearsal for what's going to happen in heaven. And today, let me tell you, I want to give you something to shout about. I want the word to inspire a praise inside your spirit. That's why I want you to grab your Bibles this morning, and I want you to turn to the book of John's Revelation. <laughs> Somebody just went, Revelation? That book doesn't make me praise. That book makes me run for cover. That's, that's the book about the apocalypse and 666 and the Antichrist. That's the same book. We were talking about the same book this morning. But listen, that book is not primarily about those things. Don't be confused. This book is not the revelation of the Antichrist. This book is the revelation of the Christ. And today, I want the Holy Spirit to open your eyes, just as he did for John when he wrote this book. And I want you to get a vision of Jesus Christ. How many just feel like we've been living on the prophetic edge of time? Do you feel that? It, over the years, there's been lots of interest in Bible prophecy. 
There's been lots of speculation. You know, you think of the, the blood moons or the alignment of the stars or the realignment of ancient nations. So people have started digging into the book of Revelation again. And actually, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Revelation, I don't know if you knew this, it's the only book in the Bible that says if you read it, you'll be blessed. But today, as we look at John's revelation, I'm not going to speak from this text as a theologian or a prophet. I'm not here to tell you what day that the Lord is coming back or whether the rapture is pre-trib or mid-trib or post-trib. We won't be covering any of the tribs today. Somebody said, thanks, Pastor Drew. I don't even know what a trib is. <laughs> we'll be talking about tribulation this morning. And look, there's many theologians and scholars that have differing opinions and views on this prophetic literature from Revelation. And today, I'm not here to straighten any of them out. I'm just here to share the simple and undeniable truths that emerge from this vision of this revelation of Jesus. That's my assignment today. So would you go ahead and stand, and we're going to, just in the honor of reading of God's Word this morning, and would you turn to Revelation chapter 5. Go ahead and move down to chapter 5. We're going to go in verse 1. And you'll be able to read it on the screens as well. Here we go. Revelation chapter 5, verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll. But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, David has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll in its seven seals. And we're going to skip all this incredible imagery. We don't have enough time to go into all of it. So, it, But it has to do with the all-seeing, all-powerful, all-knowing nature of God. So, but I want you to put your focus down to verse 11. Go down to verse 11 with me, and this is where we're going to put our focus. It says, Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice, they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, Jesus, we just come to you today. We come to you today. Father, would you give us a glimpse of Jesus this morning? Holy Spirit, I pray, would you just make Jesus so real? It's like he's walking down these aisles and sitting right next to us. Would you make it that personal this morning? And Lord, just as we've done, we've just been building a throne with our praise. For Lord, you are enthroned upon the praises of your people. So that's what we do. We just join with all of heaven and we praise and we worship you. For you are worthy. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, before you're seated, turn to somebody next to you and say, he is worthy. 
Come on, tell him. Tell him today. He is worthy. He's worthy. All right. Who's ready to take some notes today? We got real simple. I made it real simple for you. Ready? There's two voices and two truths. Take notes. Two voices. Why don't you say that with me? Say, two voices and two truths. The first of the two voices that we need to hear is the Apostle John. And John is the one who wrote this book, so let's spend a little bit of time talking about him. The book of Revelation is not only the last book in the Bible, but in fact, it was the last book written. And there's lots of misunderstanding about this book because of its mysterious symbols and its word pictures about the future. But think about it. If you lived in AD 90 and God needed to convey information about the day in which we live, only way to do that would be through pictures. And these pictures that he is described in this vision to John. And the Apostle John, he wrote this book when he was an old man, but as one of the 12 that walked with Jesus, he was probably one of the younger of the disciples. And he and his brother James had become a part of the 12. And, you know, John was a disciple. He seemed to have more of a, a sensitive spirit. And he loved Jesus in a very dedicated way all the way up to the time of the cross. And so John, think about it. He was there to see all the things that Jesus said, all the things he did. He was there on the Mount of Transfiguration along with Peter and James. Uh, he was there at the Last Supper. You know, he was the only one that followed Jesus all the way up into the temple courts after Jesus' arrest, after the other disciples had fled or denied him. And, and you know, it was John. He stood at the foot of the cross watching Jesus bleed and die. And some of Jesus' very last words were, in fact, to John, entrusting the care of his aging mother, Mary. And then, on Resurrection Sunday, the women found the tomb empty, and they came back and told the disciples, and guess who it was? It was John. He outran the rest of them, and he was the first to enter the empty tomb of Jesus. The Bible says that when John saw the grave clothes lying there, it says that John believed. So, in fact, he may be the first New Testament post-resurrection believer. We also know that John was there to witness the resurrected Christ in his glorified body. He was there on the Mount of Ascension when Jesus ascended into the clouds. You know the story of the upper room. He was there with the 120 when they received the power of the Holy Spirit and began speaking in tongues and magnified the Lord. So John came from all these experiences with Jesus to become this great apostle, the one whom God would entrust and give this great revelation. In the earlier days of his ministry, he was one of the four gospel writers, you know, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the power of those gospels, let me tell you, it affected the entire Roman Empire in that day. It really shook the world in that day. But as the gospel increased throughout the Roman Empire, so did the persecution of believers. And let me tell you, this became very personal to John. In fact, the first to die was John's own brother, James. And as the years roll on, one by one, John hears reports of another one of his friends and fellow disciples who is martyred for the cause of Christ. And Reports have now reached John's ears that under Nero, his brothers and sisters are suffering 
martyrdom by the thousands. At the hands of gladiators, they're being torn apart by lions. They're being pierced through with arrows and spears. And it was happening for the world to see in foreign lands, in coliseums and arenas around the Roman Empire to entertain crowds of people, people who were enemies of the cross back in that day. And I, we wish that those days were gone, but the reality is it's incredible to think the persecution that we still see today for Christians and churches all around the world. And there on Patmos, John is poised at the end of the first century. And as the century comes to a close, there's another tyrant that comes to the throne during the last decade. And his name was Domitian. And in the fall of AD 96, Domitian had his own revelation. He discovered that he was a god. And they made a law that everyone who saw him had to fall on their face and cry out, our Lord and our God. Let me tell you, Satan knew this would terrorize a true believer. You want to know why? A true believer understands there is only one true God. Can I get a witness this morning? And so these Christians are being persecuted severely throughout the entire Roman Empire. And John, he's now somewhere between ages 85 and 90, and he's somehow managed to escape martyrdom, but suffers a fate almost as bad. He's banished to the island of Patmos as a prisoner of the Roman Empire. And listen, now Patmos, it's this small island. It's really hardly more than a piece of rock that sticks out of the Aegean Sea. But from this piece of abandoned rock, which had become a prison camp for the banished prisoners of Rome, we hear the voice of the great apostle John reciting the history of what happened to him in his life. But there was a second voice. It was on the Lord's Day, a Sunday, just like today, that John heard a voice. And from out from the spiritual darkness of that place that seemed to be a God-forsaken island comes the sound of a voice that John just heard 65 years ago. And the voice said in Revelation 1.8, I am the Alpha and Omega. Can you imagine? I mean, this, this old man is absolutely startled by this voice. And his heart begins to race because he's heard this voice before. Listen, it was over 50 years ago, but he'd never forget that voice. It's the voice of Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, it reverberated through his soul like the sound of a loud trumpet blast. That's what the Bible says. And John looks up and he sees this vision of Jesus. And Jesus stands there before John in his resurrected, glorified power. And he starts to describe him. He says that his hair is white like wool, which that speaks of his eternal wisdom. And his face shines like the sun. It's his countenance that's free of all darkness. His eyes are like a flame of fire. He sees everything. No one can hide from these eyes. He has a sharp two-edged sword that comes forth from his mouth. And that speaks of his eternal wisdom and his powerful word. He wears a highly priestly robe and his feet are as brass, which that speaks of his authority and his judgment over the earth. And when John sees him, He completely collapses at his feet. He's absolutely overwhelmed by the power of God. John actually describes it as he just became lifeless and just fell right before God. And Jesus, he tenderly picks him up. He says, John, John, get up. 
It's me. I'm the one who was with you and was dead. But John, I am alive forevermore. And John, look what I hold in my hands, John. I hold the keys to hell and the grave. And then he looks at John and he says, John, I need you to write down some things for the people of your day. And that's what he begins to do in chapter 2 and chapter 3. And then he says, Jesus says, now, John, listen, I need you to write the things that you see after this. And right there in the fourth chapter, Jesus raptures the old man right up into heaven. He said, Jesus says, come up here, John. I need to show you some things. And all of a sudden, John sees this bright light, and he's catching, just trying to get his, his gaze. And looking forward, he looks and he sees God the Father seated on the throne. Can you imagine? Just Can you imagine what it would have been like just to be translated into the very presence of Jesus, the presence of God the Father. And he looks, and he sees this throne, and he starts to describe that this throne is enveloped in this wonderful, colorful, bright light. And there's this rainbow that encircles the throne. And you guys know what a rainbow means, right? It's God's promises, and here they are, ever before the throne. Let me tell you, I think we can forget God's promises, but let me tell you, he does not. God never forgets his promises. In this throne, it's surrounded by these 24 elders, which that speaks of the patriarchs of the Old Testament and the new order of the 12 apostles in the New Testament. And it's the people of God of all time represented by them. And what are they doing? They are worshiping God incessantly. And there's these four whirling creatures, these marvelous creatures that symbolize all creation from probably the four corners of the universe, and they're worshiping him day and night, it says, to him that sits on the throne giving thanks to him. And that scene brings us right here to where we picked up in chapter 5. And some of you may be saying, Pastor Drew, this stuff is complicated. No, 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 listen. In all these visions, always at the heart and at the core of the vision, there is a simple truth. Now, the picture may get your attention in a dramatic way, but the truth it's revealing is always simple. And everything about the vision always reflects back to the central truth. And so I got two truths for you this morning. Are you ready for them? You ready? If you're taking notes, this chapter begins by saying that John looked at God seated on the throne, and now he notices something he didn't see the first time. He says in Revelation 5, verse 1, Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. So there's this scroll and it has writing on all sides. This scroll is completely full. There is no blank space on it because it doesn't need anything else. It contains everything that God is going to say about the subject. In fact, there's even a curse to anyone that would add anything to the scroll because God has spoken. And how many know his word is final and it is complete. And the scroll is sealed with seven seals. And the idea is that you would break the first seal and you could unroll the scroll a part of the way. And then you'd have to break the next seal to unroll it even further. And so these seals are placed progressively throughout this unfolding scroll. And as we see this scroll, it leads us up to the first central truth about the vision. Very simple, very clear. I promise it's not going to go over anyone's head this morning. Two simple truths that you'll arrive at as the time you get to 
through this revelation in chapter 5. Number one, there is no one like Jesus. Can somebody say that with me? Say, there is no one like Jesus. That's it. That's what he's trying to tell us, that there is no one like him. Because you see in verse 2, a mighty angel comes out and asks the question, who is worthy to open the book and break its seals? And in the next verse, verse 3, there's something you can read in the matter, matter of a couple seconds. But obviously, it took much more time to be demonstrated to John than he shared about. It says, and no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look inside it. There was no one who could do it. The archangels, Gabriel, Michael, they shook their heads. The angels, they shook their heads. You know, can I tell you, do you know how powerful angels are? There's a story in the Bible where one angel wipes out 185,000 enemies of God and God's people. Just one angel. That's not even an archangel. I tell you, an archangel, you haven't read any fiction novel that depicts anything like these guys, and they can't even touch the scroll. They can't even look at it. The angelic beings that Isaiah or Ezekiel saw, these beings of incredible light that had Shekinah glory, or the glory of God all around them, and they, uh, they had this appearance of royalty and representing God Almighty, and they can't touch the scroll. All of the great saints and patriarchs that had gone before, all these men, mighty men and women of God, Abraham and Sarah, Moses, Jeremiah, David, Daniel, they can't touch the scroll. Even the New Testament saints who died for the cause of Christ, Matthew, Mark, Luke, Paul, they couldn't touch the book. None of the great leaders over, uh, that commanded authority over nations, they couldn't touch the scroll. Listen, there's no world uh, leader uh, of religions that could touch that scroll. Buddha, Muhammad, Confucius, Dalai Lama, they couldn't come near that scroll. Listen, even Mary, the mother of Jesus, couldn't touch the scroll. And John realizes the complete bankruptcy of all fallen creation. And he realizes his own worthiness. And he just begins to weep. Now let me explain why no one could open the scroll. You see, the only one worthy to open it is the one who is able to accomplish the content of that revelation. The one who can bring it to pass. And John weeps. And he weeps because this is, book, this is the book of man's inheritance. This is the book of man's redemption. This is the book of our deliverance. And no one is worthy. But then, as John is weeping, one of the 24 elders notices, and he gets up and he comes over to John. And he says, John, you got to stop crying. Open your eyes, John. You must not know. You must not know. There is one who can open the scroll and break its seals. And listen, John, we call him the lion of the tribe of Judah around here. And he's the only one who can open the scroll and break its seals. Because John, listen, there is no one like him. How many know, church, there is no one like Jesus. He's not a way. He is the way. He's not a savior. He is the savior. This is the message that this world is dying to hear. He is the way, 
He is the truth. He is the life. And nobody comes to the Father except by Him. Let me just pause for a second. You know, today we, we live in an age of secular humanism, of rationalism, of relativism, where man's salvation depends on man. There's no absolutes. There's no rock of truth we can stake our lives on. Today I'm here to tell you there is an absolute. There is a way, there is a truth, and there is a life. And his name is Jesus. And there is no one like Jesus. There is no one like Jesus. You know, this world says, don't get so hung up on Jesus. Why can't you be a little bit more tolerant? Why can't you be more open-minded? Don't, don't get such a narrow fixation on Jesus. Listen, when I'm traveling on a plane and that pilot's up there, he better be so narrow-minded. I don't need any other option to go. I just need to go from point A to point B. Frankly, I don't need him to get me there any faster. I don't need any shortcuts. I just need him to get me to my destination. I need him focused on the destination that's been set. I need him focused on that course because there's one runway he's been given access to land on. And he's got to come down to that runway at just the right speed, at just the right angle, if we're going to touch down there. He better be so narrow-minded. And if that pilot comes on the intercom and says, uh, folks, I decided to make a change tonight's flight. Uh, we're going to land us down in the Myers parking lot. <laughs> oh, no, you won't. It's not going to work for me. It's not going to work for me. I need a pilot that follows the course he's been given. There's no room for having an open mind when I'm sitting on that plane. But we're surrounded by voices in this culture and people that tell us to be open-minded. Hey, anybody can bring in that plane. You just land wherever you feel comfortable. You've heard it before. Oh, there's, there's so many runways that lead to heaven. Let me tell you, people are crashing into eternity without God every day. Every day. Please hear it this morning. When we leave this world, we'll know more than ever, there is no one like Jesus. He's the only way. He's the only truth. And he's the only life. Church, I tell you, it's time for silent Christians to get their voice back and declare, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen, it's not Jesus and Mohammed. It's not Jesus and universalism. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. He's the only Messiah, the only guidance system that can bring you into a safe landing through the confusion of this world. There is no one like Jesus. Okay, let's get back to the vision. Let me tell you why Jesus is the only way. After the elder tells John to look up, John looks up and he sees one between the throne and the elders. And I think if John would have known that he was about to look into the face of Jesus again, I'm sure he would have expected to see him as he, as he did at the beginning of this book. His hair white and glowing, his face like the sun, his eyes blazing fire, this grand appearance of Jesus. But no, listen. Instead, 
he looks up and he says, I saw a lamb standing as if slain. And I want to tell you that phrase, as if slain, really just doesn't do it justice. The Greek word spazo literally means with marks of slaughter on it. Mortally wounded. The lamb is there, but mortally wounded. And you may sit there and wonder, why, why would there be all this blood and gore at a time like this in heaven? Listen, if you were a Jew in John's day, you would have understood it. That's the way lambs were offered in the sacrificial system for thousands of years. They would sacrifice it and allow the blood to run out. And here's this lamb with this mortal wound, but he's alive. There's a scar, but the lamb is alive. Are you getting this today? Jesus stands in glory with nail prints in his hands and his feet and his, his wound in his side, the lamb is there still with fresh marks of slaughter on it. And the lamb does what nobody else can do. The lamb goes over and he takes the scroll. And let me tell you, the silent pause in heaven all of a sudden erupted into a praise across the streets of glory. And the four living creatures, they fall down before the lamb and they sang a new song. What was the song they sang? You find it here in Revelation 5, verse 9. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased persons for God from every tribe, every language, and people, and nation. Did I tell you, there is no one like Jesus. And what's this song? It's a prophecy that's being declared. It's a prophetic song. And right there, around 98 A.D., the Holy Spirit is revealing to John through this vision that this gospel will be preached to every tribe, every land, every nation. And listen, the redeemed, they're all crying out, Jesus, we're all here and we're here because you gave your life. Ukrainian Christians that were martyred, they'll be there. Arabic believers, they'll be there around the throne. Jewish people that found Yeshua, Hamashiach, Jesus the Messiah, they're there. Eastern Indians, Africans, South Americans, every tribe, every race, every nation, every tongue. And they're all crying out, we're here because we've accepted the grace that God has extended through Jesus Christ, the only Messiah, the only Savior, the only one worthy to break its seals and fulfill every promise, the only one who can complete it. Does somebody know today, there is no one like Jesus. Say it with me. There is no one like Jesus. Say it again. Say, there is no one like Jesus. There's no one like him. No one like him. Okay, there's a second point here. One more simple but profound truth we see in this prophetic picture, and it's just as simple, just as short as the first one. What's the first one? There is no one like Jesus. Remember that. And would you hold on to this today? Number two, he is Lord of all. Say that. Say, he is Lord of all. Oh, church, there is nothing that isn't his. He is Lord of all. Now, well, could you do this with me? Turn to Revelation chapter 5, verse 11. I want you to put it on the screen. Could you do that? Revelation 5. And I, what I want to do is, can we read this aloud together? Can we do that? Read it with me. Then 
I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice, they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Let me tell you, angels just started showing up from everywhere. Angels started showing up from everywhere. First, they came from the left, then they came from the right, they came from above, and then they came from beneath. First it was by the dozens, then it was hundreds of angels, then it was thousands, then tens of thousands, and now literally we're talking about millions of angels packed around the throne. Can you imagine all around the throne, millions of angels, and they're all there, and they just keep showing up, and here's what they do. In a loud voice, they cried, worthy. Listen, some of you think you've maybe been to a loud concert before. Let me tell you. You haven't heard anything like this. I'm so grateful, Pastor Tim, that God has given us glorified bodies because I don't think our earthly bodies could even take it. I don't know how loud these majestic creatures or these angelic beings can speak, but I can tell you there's one angel in Revelation 10, you read a little further, he puts one foot on the sea, one foot on dry land, and he makes a sound of a lion's roar that echoes seven thunders. There's another, that an angel that God uses to deliver a loud shout that literally wakes up the dead in Christ. So can you imagine millions upon millions of angels packed around the throne, singing their thunderous praise, and what's their song? Worthy is the lamb that was slain. Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and honor and glory and praise. Church, let me tell you, that sums it right there. He is worthy of everything. He is worthy of all praise. He's worthy of all honor. He's worthy of all glory. Oh, church, would you stand to your feet? And with all the angels, would you cry out, worthy? Would you cry out, holy? Holy is your name. Holy is your name. Holy is your name. We give you praise. We give you praise. We give you praise. Say, worthy is your name.
across this room, would you just enter people's hearts and minds? Holy Spirit, the power of God, would you just begin to fill this place? Just begin to fill this place. Jesus, we need you, Lord. We want you, Lord. Lord, we want you, Lord. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Worthy is your name. Holy is your name. Receive all power, honor, glory, and praise. Holy is your name. Holy is the name. church today we need to align ourselves with these truths there is no one like Jesus and he is Lord of all he's worthy to receive your praise your commitment your life if the truth of the Lordship of Jesus gave comfort to those that were being martyred for the cause of Christ today it can give comfort to you gave comfort to John on a lonely island called Patmos, whose company was only criminals. Today, it can give comfort to you, no matter what you're walking through. No matter what you're walking through. You know, it says that John was in the Spirit, is what it says. He was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Let me tell you, today, you can be in the Spirit on the Lord's day, no matter how dark it may seem. No matter how dark it may seem around you, you can be in the Lord's day. And not just today, but every day, every moment. Because how many know He's not just Lord over Sunday? He's Lord of every day. He's Lord of every day, every moment. And would you allow Him to be? That's the key right there, though. We have to allow Him. We have to take action on our part. What happens when you leave this room today? Are you taking the Spirit with you? Or are you just leaving the Spirit for next Sunday? Because there's something so much more for you. Listen, I said at the beginning, I talked about how our worship, it's just a picture of when we get to heaven. And when we get to heaven, we're just gonna be worshiping and praising God for all eternity. But today, let me tell you, we can start that praise. I want to be like these whirling creatures that praise God day and night. And we can start that praise today. And let me tell you something. Our praise extends much further than just a song or a melody. Your worship, it's when you wake up in the morning. I tell you, I want to start with worship. I want to thank the Lord and ask Him for His presence and His guidance. It's when I go to work, I want to be in the Spirit with the things I think, the things I say, the things I do. It's when I'm gathered with my family there. I need my kids to know how much their daddy loves Jesus. There's so many ways to worship in your life. It goes so much further than a song and a melody. Let Him be Lord of everything. And today, He wants to be Lord of you if you'll let him be. Lord of your hopes. Lord over your dreams, over your doubts, over your fears. Let him be Lord this morning. Jesus, we desire to join in the song of the redeemed and unite our voice with all creation, praising your holy name. Spirit of God, you're here right now.
And in the same way you were with John on the island of Patmos, I ask, Lord, would your voice be just as resonant and just as clear as it was to him? Because Jesus, we need to know you more. Could you just keep your head bowed and eyes closed for a moment?